Welcome to the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. Welcome to another episode of The Plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. Ah, Mountain Man, I did it again. I think this is episode 40. Don't hold me to it. Mountain Man, how you doing? Uh, Skitter Pal, meow meow. I cannot complain. And yes, you, you, you almost did it again. But as always, you are correct. This is episode 40. What about moving, you, brother? How's moving it Moving right along. I am doing pretty well. I am doing pretty well. We're going to have an interesting, interesting uh, topic of conversation today. It's funny how we're sticking with music lately, uh, but that's that's just how it is. Um, this was actually a topic brought up by Glenn, uh, Granny C, Granny Clyde, and I can't wait to get into it, but I kind of went behind your back a little bit. I, I, know no. I, I know it's cheating, but he's really good, too. So I uh, asked somebody to come on and uh, didn't let you know until just before... <laughs> Just before we called him in here, today we have the great Lee Gerstman with us. Lee, how you doing? Oh, um, hey Lee, how are you doing? Um, don't worry, um, all three of us aren't going to be minding the fact that you're on the show. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Outstanding, outstanding. Happy to have you back, sir. And uh, this time it's not an epic song uh, episode. Because apparently, Thank God. apparently only you and I know what epic means. That means long-ass fucking songs. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. <laughs> I guess them epic just means songs that they hear over and over again non-stop. <laughs> that was kind of my feeling, but uh, that still it was a good almost four-hour episode. It was a lot of fun. A lot of cool tunes in there. But no, we have yep. them back for a different reason this week. And like I said, I can't wait to get into all that. But, Mountain Man, how was your week? Uh, normal as practically can possibly be. Uh, normal at home, me and uh, uh, Jess and uh, little DJs. Uh, been able to spend quite a bit of time together uh, at work. Uh, really didn't spend that much time at work this week because uh, of certain unforeseen Little circumstances, Mountain Man hasn't worked a whole bunch this past week, so yeah, my wife is uh, basically just ran around each other and just about threatened to rip each other's heads off and shit the whole full because we've been around each other too much. <laughs> I was going to week. say, nothing ruins a marriage like togetherness. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> uh, no, uh, been a pretty good week. I've been able to get stuff around the house. Uh it's cold up here still in the little bitty mountains up here on top of this crazy-ass world. Uh, heaters, normal, in and out, same old bullshit, because we heat our home with propane. Uh, <laughs> I go to work, I believe it was Monday, I had to change one of our propane tanks. We do 100-pound tanks to heat 
or home, but we have three different heaters, so three 100-pound tanks going at one time, basically. And uh, I get to work, he's going to phone Jess because, like, honey, what did you do to the heater? I'm like, what are you talking about, honey? Yeah, the heater, right after I hooked it up, checked everything, made sure all of it was good to go, decided to kick out. It oh. was uh, 21 degrees outside, so it was about probably 27 eight degrees in their bedroom <laughs> so needless to say that was kind of hilarious luckily granny c knows as much about these heaters that i do figured out that there was a little air bubble in the line and it didn't want to go through blew it out finally got that situated jessica calls me at about 30 minutes later okay we got it we got it all situated Almost put Mount Man in a little bit of a heart attack because, yeah, I got to keep my baby warm, especially little mountain baby up here. Um, more than that, uh, like I said, been around the little wifey a uh, whole lot. Uh, just, just like Bushy said, nothing brings a message worse than togetherness. If you spend too much of the time to yourself, yes, you literally want to kill them from time to time. But luckily, we love each other, so that, that has kept us from that so far. That's pretty much been my week. What about you, Bushy? Oh, my week wasn't too bad. Wasn't too bad. Had a kick-ass power hour last week. Uh, didn't really do much on my days off. Um, work wasn't bad at all. Uh, kind of hectic. I've, I've got a, got one guy out indefinitely on a leave of absence. We spoke about that last week. They were nice enough to cover said guy. Um, however, another one of my guys got into a fight at a bar, his face all smashed up, broke his hand, and they didn't put him out until Wednesday afternoon after my shift had already started, so I had no coverage for that. Right. So I was um, pulling from the quality control department to have a, you know to have the guy I needed. Uh, but then it started getting kind of wonky. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday. I had a guy in was supposed to work the whole day. He was going to be getting hired on to the company, but he's been kind of putting it off, signing all the paperwork. So I had to send him upstairs and, uh, you know, see human resources. They went ahead and filled out the paperwork, set up his appointment for his urinalysis. And the next thing you know, he's out in the parking lot chugging those shakes that are supposed to clean out your system. Apparently, he was chugging them too fast because he ended up puking all over the place and saying he was sick and leaving early on me. So I don't know if the dude's using dope of some kind and knew he wouldn't pass and then got sick so he wouldn't have to take the uh, take the test. But I was right. short. I was stuck. That, that's the point of that. And it's Saturday. Yeah, it must have been Friday because Saturday uh, I had one of my guys that was supposed to work a half day come in for all day. And one of the frequent flyers that uh, is from another shift, every time they schedule this dude overtime on my shift, he never shows up. I don't mean calls in sick. I mean, doesn't show up. So we were uh, we were stuck again on Saturday, but it wasn't a bad day. You know, everything went real smooth. The day flew by. Um, yeah, I got out on time right at 3.30. Went out last night. Had a good time. Drank too much again. Go figure. And uh, basically just been kind of sitting around the house eating and drinking coffee waiting for this program. So not too bad at all. Mr. Lee, how's your week been, bro uh, brother? Oh, it's kind of been interesting. I've been staying away from that call, and it's not for any moral reason because I still like drinking. It's because 
You know, when I've been drinking, I found that my stomach sometimes gets this really cold kind of ache feeling, and then I get like this, like, constant burps, and I'm like, uh, it's not very pleasant. And so I find that when I stop the drinking, that stuff stops. And so I'd rather for a while kind of feel good instead of not good. Why <laughs> Why do some, I do some if, if after you drink, which is supposed to make you feel good, you go, oh, stomach, ow. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. It's not supposed to happen. So for now, uh, I'm just counting the days until February because I said I wouldn't drink until February. So I'm just counting the seconds until February 1 comes. But I've also been eating better, like um, beans and, um, you know, like um, peas and um, vegetables like kale and um, beets and carrots and tofu and stuff. And, I mean, and, and of course, I splurged a little bit and I got some eggs and cheese today. And I, I do a little bit of that and a little bit of my coffee, but I'm only doing like one cup of coffee. I'm doing mostly like tea or chai tea or whatever. And it's actually... Um, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm turning into a Marin County, San Francisco ferry type. I'm like just a guy now who's just trying to, you know, get his health better, you know. And so um, that's maybe going to seem strange to some people. But I've actually always kind of teetered the brink of either doing too much excess one way and drinking and doing junk food doing the uh, health food way, um, you know, excessively. I've always kind of done both, you know. Um, eventually, I'll have to try and find a way to do both at once, <laughs> even though that would probably be weird. But, yeah, and I've been thinking of ideas for stories and stuff. haven't been doing a hell of a lot of writing. I did some writing on a story, but I've been, you know, focusing on that listening to music, listening to jam bands and stuff. So it's pretty much been a regular week for me doing reading and um, listening to music and and doing opinion videos on YouTube and whatnot. By the way, yeah. uh, speaking of uh, opinion YouTube videos, I saw your review of the uh, Double Quarter Pounder King. Uh, oh! I went... Burger King the day after watching that and said, you know, what? Really? fuck it, I gotta try it. And you're right. Oh, that's cool. That's I, cool. I, I would have preferred mayo. I am with yeah. you on that. Uh, yeah. Burger King's burgers taste better than McDonald's burgers, but if I'm going to get a double quarter yeah. powder, slap some mayonnaise on that bitch, make me happy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, right Right when you um, told me that you saw that episode, I just saw an indication on my phone that I have a new subscriber to YouTube. So that's cool. You know, um, there was there was one particular person who subscribed shortly after I did that uh, review or whatever and said, you got to review like Pizza Hut's chicken wings. So I did it because um, people who do food reviews get people... To subscribe, and I thought, you know, I like food. Hey, why not me do that? You know, so I'm I'm kind of happy that there's a few people who are watching my food videos too. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I never thought of doing a food review. I know that uh, I know that I love food. Uh, I yeah. Like to, I would like to review a Gordon Ramsay dish as opposed to a Pizza Hut dish, but I, I see where yeah, you're going. Yeah, yeah, no, I like no. It. <laughs> no, yeah. With me, I, I would say it's just probably, do I want to show out the money for the Gordon Ramsay dish? But, no, but, but the thing is, I will say really quickly, there is this one show called Cooks versus Cons, if you've ever heard of it. I have. And there's, yeah, and there's one guy who was on there who won some kind of award, or like he maybe won the round for the dish, and his restaurant is, well, it's it's about, if I were to walk it, it might take me like 40 minutes to walk, but if I go on bus, it might take me 10 minutes to to his place, but it's within town, you know, it's about maybe 30 blocks away from where I live, but that's better than being out of state, and I can, oh, if I want to try his, uh, you know, his um, Vietnamese-style pho um, dish, he's, it's, it's like a beef noodle stew, but he uses corned beef instead, and he's a white guy, not, not a Vietnamese guy, but he's stayed a lot in Vietnam, but I, 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 all, most pho is about like $10, um, for a large bowl at the most. His is maybe like 14 I'll pay that extra for, it's a hell of a lot better than paying $2,000 for a Gene Sips thing, you know, and, 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 and it's Which like, Which version would do? Probably. Well, yeah, yeah. If I if I had that kind of money, I used to do stuff like that. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so I'll pay that that little extra just to have his celebrity food thing. Why not? You know. I don't blame you, especially if it's stuff that you yeah. enjoy in the first place. Um, yeah. I I love steak. I love scallops, and my mouth waters anytime I watch Gordon Ramsay cook. So if I could afford it, if I could yeah. afford it, I would absolutely shell out the hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. For a dinner at a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. Plus, you have oh, airfare, because yeah. there's not one near me. There used to be one in New York City. There's not anymore. I guess it's just California, yeah. and uh, now they have that new Hell's Kitchen in Las Vegas. So, Yeah. The closest thing that I had gotten to eating in a cool place where a good chef had, you know, went was like, um, if you know the show Chops, you yes. know, Chops. Yeah, yeah, and then one of the judges, Mark Samuelson, he he um has like a few restaurants, and one of them is like more like a cozy kind of a uh, cafe kind of boho style, and he doesn't actually cook there, but he owns it and it's his recipes. But I was able to eat there, and nice. and, and it was kind of cool. And then there was another place where. The woman who won Chopped, she actually works in that restaurant, but she wasn't there the day that I I went there with my sister and stuff um, for my birthday, but it was still her food, but I would have liked to have her cook it, but still, it, it was a cool experience, and, and it was the restaurant she worked at, so uh, one of these days I'll actually get the Chopped people to cook like i wouldn't mind spending a hundred dollars if jeffrey zakarian or scott conant personally cooked my dish sure i would i would do that 
but only once. But that was my Gene Simmons experience. Nice, nice. And I yeah. cannot argue with you there. Yeah. All right. So, this week, great topic of discussion. Um, one of my favorite musical forms, and I, I don't know that a lot of people know this about me, but one of my favorite, absolute favorites, is the blues, um, which is probably why I enjoyed 80s glam rock, you know, hair metal, whatever you want to call it, uh, so much, because it was definitely very blues-based. Yes. And uh, the Mountain Man came at me, I don't know, several days ago, and said, hey, why don't we talk about the blues and its impact and influence on rock and roll? And I was like... Uh, yeah, how do I sign up for that? <laughs> because this is my favorite uh, musical form. Um, especially because it's, uh, for the most part, guitar-driven. And uh, that, that's always been my favorite anyway. But the heart and soul that these blues guitarists could pull out of three or four notes, as right. opposed to some of my other heroes that might throw 50 notes into the same measure. The heart and soul they pull out of those three or four are leaps and bounds more amazing than what the shredders could do. And I like the guitar shredders as well. And um, before we get into this, I want to go ahead and I want to play, and I know it's cliche, but B.B. King, The Thrill Is Gone.
Alright, the reason I had to play that is because of what I was just talking about. The heart and soul inside of those little three or four note runs that he pulls off. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, the blues. Probably, yeah. probably the only truly American art form, as far as music goes. Um, even though it borrowed from uh, African roots and from some uh, European roots. This right. was a, a music style started in the South. God love the South. Um, mostly on uh, slave plantations, which isn't great, but you know what? Uh, great things come from pain and suffering. Uh, yeah. You can, you can ask that of any athlete, any artist. You know, there are millions of starving artists out there, as the saying goes. But these blues players, um, boy, they really brought it. They were, you know, a lot of it came from the, you know, from the African spirituals. They would be singing while out there working in those fields and such. Um, but man, it's it's just absolutely an amazing art form, and uh, it led to some even greater things. Now, I'm curious to know uh, what's your guys' opinion of the blues? Is it something that you listen to? Uh, regularly, is it, is it something just kind of in passing? Yeah, I kind of dig that. I mean, what's what's your history with the blues? Go ahead, Lee. All right. Well, for me, I mean, of course, um, I've been familiar with blues for about as long as you can imagine. With me, I, I prefer more jazz or jazz blues, but I would have to say my two favorite blues artists would have to be John Lee Hooker and Jimmy Reed. And I also, I also, oh, go on. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. That's that's definitely great. And I also really like Big Bill Brunzi, who is a little more folk blues sometimes. And I like little Walter Jacobs. His stuff is really, really and um, to me, sounded sometimes a little bit like closer to rock, only because it was so purely well done. But those are basically my four favorites. Nice, nice. Not bad. What's your take on the blues? Well, yeah, that's actually just like with rock and roll. I mean, I know I'm a lot uh, younger than the two of you. Uh, for me, the blues is one of, I'm like you, Bush, one of my absolute all-time favorite uh, genres of music, uh, spanning from Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Little Richard. I mean, just the, just the soulful impact that, especially them four in the craziness of the duck from Chuck Berry that he put into his music playing. I mean, it's just, it's, if, if you don't have a title and don't listen to blues that not impact you in some sort of way, you're dead inside, personally, for my opinion. But, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you can't not listen to Chuck Berry and get into it and sit there and watch one of his videos of him pulling off that duck walk and you not want to try it yourself. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, it's just a very impactful, influential genre of music uh, to to listen to. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah. I couldn't agree more, although I still put Chuck Berry and Little Richard Moore into the rock and roll genre, although they were very blues-based. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. For me... Uh, they, they were. They yeah, were. absolutely. Uh, for me, I was hooked from the moment I heard B.B. King. Um, my aunt's boyfriend at the time listened to a lot of the blues, and he introduced me to this album called Lucille Talks Back. And uh, the song Lucille Talks Back is an instrumental that absolutely blew me away. Um, it also had uh, The Thrill Is Gone on there, so I'm not sure if it's a compilation album or not. But B.B.'s voice and that guitar tone instantly grabbed me and i went out and started searching all things blues i became ralph macchio okay i had to go find all things blues and i discovered some greats like taj mahal absolutely amazing um, oh yeah uh john lee hooker like you said lee muddy waters man i love muddy waters um but albert king you know great great blues player uh the robert cray band all great stuff. Robert Cray was a little more rock and blues, but mm -hmm. still very bluesy, you know. And um, it, it's hard to be a fan of rock and roll or hell, even heavy metal, if or, you don't have at least, at least an appreciation for the blues, because yep. you can find the blues in rock and sometimes even heavy metal. Mm -hmm. You can find it all the way throughout that kind of music. Now, uh, obviously, it was probably most prevalent in the 50s and 60s, when, uh, of course, this great genre of music that we love so much, rock and roll, was born. And at the time, it was they, they had a rockabilly thing going on, some people were doing. Um, you know, uh, what was that? Like Elvis, Elvis, I think, was a little more rockabilly because of where he was. I mean, Memphis, Tennessee, home of country music. So he would have more of a country influence. He later got into a bluesier sound. Um, Buddy Holly was definitely rockabilly. He uh, really wasn't blues-oriented. But you had these guys like Fats Domino come out. You had uh, Chuck Berry, as you were saying, Mountain Man. Uh, Little Richard. I mean, that was definitely heavily blues-influenced uh, music. Now, I wonder... Was it because these were African-American males that they were incorporating the blues into this new style of music? And uh, the white guys who had grown up on country who liked the rock and roll, who had, you know, and at the time, America was a different place, and that was considered black music. The, uh, the rock and roll wasn't for white people. So when you have Buddy Holly coming out, and you have uh, uh, Elvis Presley coming out, and Jerry Lee Lewis... Who was more blues? J. Lee Lewis was definitely more blues-based. But you had these guys coming out. They were really shunned by a lot of people for doing, quote-unquote, black music. Right. And they weren't as heavily blues-based. They were more country-based. They were just louder and had added drums. Uh, do you think it was because these were African-American men who had obviously grown up with the blues that they started incorporating it into their music? That's a very interesting point, and... I had not actually thought of that. I think that that's part of it, but I also think the other part of it has to do with uh, the geography. Like if someone is in an area where that particular kind of music is being 
developed, and then that's what someone is going to do. And then later on, they might hear other music, but like maybe in the Appalachia Mountains, where it's more the bluegrass style, that that stuff is going to seep into someone's music more because that's what they're hearing. And in the Mississippi Delta, it's going to be more blues because that's what's going on. And of course, it's also because of the geography. I mean, and and you know the upbringing and and what what you grow up hearing. So yeah, it, it could. It's it's definitely ethnically um, based also because in particular areas where the ethnicity is very prominent in one particular type of people, it also brings about the culture of the place. Uh, just like in anything, like if you have Chinatown, the people who work in the Asian restaurants will obviously a lot of times know about other cultures. But when they're doing their own particular meal, they're doing it um, in the style of the ethnicity that's part of their culture. So in the same way, um, you're going to have people who are like demonstrating or being responsible for what they know in their culture and and then they're going to grow from that that's what i think nice nice and i I absolutely agree uh about man anything to add to that 100 percent agree i couldn't say that better uh the the one thing i can say better how how the hell did you say appalachia mountains is that what you said lee uh, uh, Appalachia, yeah. Is that is that true or is that not? Right? Uh, it's Appalachian. But oh, thank you. Your your Appalachia. Appalachian, yeah. That's where I live. I live. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm 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 glad I'm glad you you corrected me and I wanted someone from that. No, area no, no. What's funny? Collect- no, what's funny? Everybody says it the TV show uh, Mountain Men the, the, where they go around all these people that live off the grid everybody says it differently uh, people oh, okay. live up here we, we just say Appalachian Mountain just how it's spelled a lot of people call it Appalachian uh, oh, I mean, cool. there, there's many different ways but us up here that lives around, yeah we call it Appalachian but you are 100% correct on the bluegrass that oh, yeah. is up here 100% um, but with a lot of the older folks, like up here towards where we live, they base all their blue uh, bluegrass off of the blues. They play it more bluesy than the original bluegrass. That is actually that okay. more common here. Okay. I just want to ask really quickly, you know how people have arguments against Kiss versus Led Zeppelin? Back where okay. you are, is it Bob Wills versus Bill Monroe? No, it is not. It's okay. more. It's if you if you want to do a comparison like that for up here, it's more. I guess you could say Chuck Berry versus Muddy Waters. Who's the better? Oh, uh, okay. The two, basically, like that. Um, oh, okay. It's, it's not exactly like a fight or a versus anything like that. With with. Oh, people. all right. Because everybody's fan of music, especially up here. I mean, look at me. I'm redneck. I talk like a damn redneck, but I listen to uh, classic rock and uh, new N.E.W. heavy metal. Uh, 
but I mean, 90% of bass up here for, for my generation is more bluesy. There are a lot of old-time folk bluegrass listeners, but that's with yeah. my grandmother, stuff like that. After her generation up here, I mean, I'll be honest, with bluegrass, it's it's actually becoming a dying part of here. Oh, man. Um, um, well, Bob Wills is really great. And Bill yeah. Monroe... Um, you have to you have to picky and choose him, but his best stuff is very good. Right. So right. you know, I like Ricky Skaggs. He makes country and bluegrass. So yes. Oh yeah. Yes. And uh, what I, what I like about bluegrass is just the lightning speed and precision of those players. That that is the thrash metal of the country music community. Yes. Oh yeah. God, those guys are fast. They they would give Ingve Malmsteen a run for his money. For yeah. sure. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I hate about up here. So many people from, and I mean this new generation, I'm talking about the kids being born now. Um, they don't even pay any attention to it. There'll be some churches up here or every now and then some of these uh, country bluegrass players will come in uh, or just straight bluegrass. Maybe five or six people will show up uh, to even listen. Huh. Someone comes in with country or a little more blues or a little more rock. Son, everybody flocks to that. But uh, there's mm. a gentleman that lives up here, and I cannot remember his name. Um, he is very big in bluegrass up here. He passed away, but he is blind. He used to live mm. over uh, right beside of Watauga County, where my grandmother lived, which is the county right next door. Um, mm. But, I mean, it's it's unfortunately, uh, like I said, I know it's a little off, off topic, but, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody that's originally for the, the regular bluegrass, I mean, it's it's just not up here much anymore. Maybe more down towards Cherokee or more uh, a little up north to Virginia may see, still be real. Mm-hmm. But up here in the highest parts, it's, yeah. it's not much anymore, unfortunately. That's insane wow. because way up here where I live, 30 minutes from the Canadian border, we have a two or three day bluegrass festival every year. That's funny. Huh. Yeah, can you over in oh, yeah, over in Katati in 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 Mar- like by Marin County, uh, it's Katati might be the the Black River um, of California, or the Black Water of California, you, you know, water, Katani might be the water town of California, let's say, and um, they have um, an accordion festival, um, uh, like a polka festival, and all the big name polka people go, and it's a massive thing in Katani, but absolutely nowhere else does yeah, anybody even know no, it exists. This but if you said want all to... the big name polka players. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, there's a Frankie Yankovic who I don't think is related to Weird Al, but he he's like considered the polka king, and and he he's still alive. He's maybe ninety, but he's still doing polka music. And <laughs> I mean, you know, if 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 you want to look up the polka fest. It will show up, but you have to actually know to look up Polka Festival in Katati, California. Because if you if if you try and look it up anywhere else, 
you're, you're going to be speaking gibberish to people. But I never went, I don't want to go, I don't like polka music, but I mean, it's like, that's, that's apparently big there. Right. Nice, <laughs> nice. I, uh, wish we'd have a blues festival up here. I haven't seen yeah. one of those yet. But we do have a lot of, you know, bar bands, cover bands that still stick to the old blues-based rock and roll stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So, the 1950s. There's a big explosion of the blues. Um, Muddy Waters decided to uh, invent electricity. Right. Oh, yeah. By uh, plugging in as opposed to doing the traditional acoustic flat-top blues. And, man, this yeah. stuff just exploded. Just exploded. We got Howlin' Wolf, you know, Jimmy Reed, we got Willie Dixon, and all these guys, yeah. you know, they were from Mississippi, they were all going to Chicago, so we got that great Chicago blues style, you know, because they were kind of mixing, um, you know, what was popular in Chicago at the time, kind of that, that Motown sound, I guess you'd almost say, even though that's more of a Detroit thing. Yeah. But, you know, uh, geographically speaking, it's in the same area, I mean, Michigan and uh, Illinois yeah. are that far apart. Um when did we really start to see it coming into rock and roll? I mean, mm. because... Uh, 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 I have an opinion on that. Uh, when, it, in my personal opinion, and especially with this, because uh, my mother used to quote all the time, for me, I'm going to have to say the Beatles. Yeah, I would have to say that's... It's interesting, because um, in England, yeah, they did have maybe a real love for the music that was what they would call overseas they might one guy might have an offshore radio and he was able to listen to the blue stuff and then he would invite his friends and they would go and listen to it and so the beatles most definitely did that they also did some pop and some uh like more country influence in some ways when they started, but like the Rolling Stones, I heard that <laughs> I was that was the other one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That Jagger was the one who had all the different blues records, and he would let people borrow them and listen to them. So Rolling Stones were like what I would call the very first and the very best blues-based. English band at that time. Yes, and yes. then and, and then, then the Yardbirds both. Yardbirds, yep. Well, yeah, the 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 Yardbirds a little bit later on, but um, but not too much later. But also the Animals, and then even even groups later like the Moody Blues. They started out with Denny Lane, and they they, they were a little bit like not so completely authentic um, well when it comes to authentic that's hard to say because they all had their own style but it's kind of like slightly second generation but they started out doing blues stuff and that's why they called themselves the moody blues and then they changed the sound when denny left and that's a whole other story but then there was like savoy brown who also did like then then there was um you know it and then there was also like 10 years after who they they actually were more like led zone as far as 
they would take the original and then they would like totally tweak it so that it became more heavy metal rock style but yeah those those were the offshoots of the blues in england and to me in america it might be like the uh paul butterfield band who did stuff like that maybe a little bit of Paul Review and the Raiders, because Paul Review and the Raiders started out around the same time as the Beatles. But they also did, like, dance hall and jazzy stuff, so they weren't totally blues. But, but he and Bill Doggett with Honky Tonk and maybe, like, Ramsey Lewis with um, um, the in crowd and just different people taking in different directions. But they started off with the blues and then they went on. Well, here's here's somebody, here's somebody to throw in that mix since you're talking about American. Uh, yeah. Just like with uh, Ch- uh, uh, Chuck Berry, BB King, or Muddy yeah. Waters, for example. Yeah. When he when he hooked up to an electric guitar, every time he hit a note, just like Bushy said earlier, it was like a cry note. One of yeah. the, the American uh, guys that actually relied on a variety of his blues. Jimmy Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, most definitely. Yeah, Jimmy Hendrix yeah. is one hell of a you know blues guitar player. Um, underrated in that respect, overrated in others, in my opinion. Right, um, right. I have to laugh, you guys say, of Beatles and blues, because uh, while I'm not a huge Beatles fan, I'm going through my Rolodex in my head, and there's nothing about the Beatles that screams blues influence to me at all. Their, on uh, some of their lyrics. Their chord progressions were blues-based. The way uh, Hamilton played the guitar wasn't blues-based. The Stones, however, you yeah. can absolutely hear and feel it. You know, it, right. it, in those first several albums, they're obviously uh, blues-based. Now, um, as, as, as popularity got them, they kind of strayed from that while still being obviously the Rolling Stones. But uh, boy, they they let it go with that last album they released. Man, that that album was all blues, and it was amazing. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and that's that's the thing is like um, the uh, and then there was also people like John Mayall's Blues Breakers, who Eric Clapton started out with, and then later on Mick Taylor, who went on to the Rolling Stones and Peter Green in Fleetwood Mac. And and so and then there was also groups like Baker Lou Clem Clemson who later on went in Humble Pie and that went and that that has Marriott who was in the small faces and then um and then later on Jeff Beck with Rod Stewart and Ron Wood and, and so you, you got all these people who were like sort of flowers that you put blues watering and then they all kind of grew in a different way but they started with that foundation yep yeah absolutely absolutely and uh i think it's an important way to start um uh i I don't play much anymore but i know that when i started playing guitar i really stayed in that you know harmonic minor pentatonic you know blues scale uh you know what i was playing uh Half of it could be just because I can't play fast. I can play rhythm fast, but I, I can't lead very well. Uh, so it was always slow blues licks uh, that I like concentrating on. 
And it's because of those those single notes or those little tri notes, you know, just I, I stand by it. You can say more in five notes than you can with 150. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're doing it right, you bend that string the right way, you know, and it's, uh, it, it, you've got some magic going on. Um, now, now the sixties was a cool time because, uh, yeah. you know, you've got Hendrix who's obviously blues and, uh, yeah, boy, he has some really weird stuff out there. Um, Electric Ladyland is probably my favorite album. And there is some nasty, nasty bluesy stuff on there. Crosstown Traffic, I think it's a brilliant song. Heavily, mm, yeah. heavily, heavily blues laden. You know, and uh, ah, fuck it, let's listen to that one right now real quick. Who else from the from the sixties is it really oh. carrying that on? Would it would the doors be considered bluesy or were they just on drugs? Uh they uh, they, they um maybe it maybe they did a few blues covers like Actor Man. But they also did a curl tune. They did Whiskey Bar, yep. which um you know, so so they they were more influenced by just Acid. regular rock or, or like they do just influenced by doing like um who knows their 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 own stuff more regular rock I think. but um 
the groups, other groups in LA, like I would say Iron Butterfly, they well, no, they they were also a little bit acid, but but they also did Ellen Toussaint's Get Out My um, Get Out My Way Woman and stuff, and then later on, one of the guys from Iron Butterfly was in a group called Rhinoceros, and they had a song Apricot Brandy, and they 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 did a song Let Me Serenade You that the th- Three Dog Night records. So you know, but they weren't that well known, but they did kind of a blues jazz kind of a situation. But I would have to say groups like Country Joe and the Fish, they they had like a definite like blues sort of country. Yeah, like background blues is what I was when when they started. Yeah, and Jefferson Airplane. Uh, well, a couple of the members were kind of more blues oriented, like Yorma Kokonen and Jack Cassidy. But then there was also Paul Katner and Marty Ballin, who were a little more folk oriented. But um, you know, and there's there's an interesting story I'll tell you really quick about how they kind of got together. Marty Ballin was in the metrics for this open mic thing, and he saw Paul Katner with this double armed guitar that nobody had and so Paul Kettner came to uh, sign in to do the open mic so Marty Ballin said that hey you can have my spot and so Paul Kettner went okay and then so when it was Paul Kettner's turn to come on uh, Marty Ballin said he took about 10 minutes to tune up 10 or 15 minutes and then he just looked in the mic and he just got nervous and he said I'm sorry I can't do it and then he walked out and Marty Ballin was so intrigued by that he said I want to talk to this guy so he ran after him and said he's going to be in my band and (laughs) that's sort of how how that happened but apparently must have worked out well because Paul Kantner called Yorma Kokonen who was his friend and and then Yorma called Jack Cassidy so it worked out but you know it was like to be in to, to be intrigued and have someone in your band because he didn't play. That was a very interesting, different kind of thing. But yeah, yeah and that's, then... That's and, definitely out and, there. Yeah, and so, and so, um, and then other groups, like, in the 60s, like, um, well, you guys, you know, can talk for a little bit, and I'll think later when, when the, because my mind is so full that, um, it's it's hard to think of, of oh no cream cream definitely which was like an option the yardbirds they definitely and then other other groups oh boy it's, it's yeah, hard to got, tell yeah well there was definitely a lot of them and um, I'm thinking that as we uh, edge into the 70s it yeah. starts to become even more prevalent uh, whether we were across the pond in England or we were here, and uh, probably yeah. one of the biggest ones that comes to mind for me, uh, the 70s, it was completely a blues band, for the first two albums anyway, would be Led mm. Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. You know, those first yeah. two records are just loaded, they're saturated with the blues. In fact, a lot of them, uh, I would say I'm almost hard-pressed to consider any of the stuff off of their first album to be original there may have been one original tune but it was mostly 
Dazed and Confused was was a Chet Holmes, no, a Jake Holmes tune, but I've heard Jake Holmes' version, and Jimmy Page does add a lot of improvisational stuff to it. Babe, I'm Gonna Leave wasn't a traditional, like, public domain song. It was actually a song this one woman wrote, I forget her name, but they didn't even credit her. They said public domain um, by Jimmy Page. It's a way to avoid giving her, um, you know, any royalties. Sure. But, but, but anyway, um, her name might have been something like Anne Sullivan. I don't know for sure, but but she has her version out there. But yeah, and then oh yeah, there was and um, also people. I'm thinking Tim Rose. Well, he did Morning Dew, which was more folk, but he also did some blues stuff too. And 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 Tim Rose is considered to be pretty cool, even though he took Morning Dew from Bonnie Dobson. But yes, yeah, so. Um, and then there was Tom Rush, who did blues, kind of folk blues. He was really good. And and then there was, like, John Hammond, who was the son of the John Hammond, who covered Bob Dylan. He he did all, his whole repertoire was pretty much blues. He kind of did a more blues rock thing sometimes. But, yeah, he was definitely blues-oriented. And so a lot of the people who were... Um, doing Greenwich Folk and stuff. They also a lot of blues stuff, but they incorporated more into their own like folk style. Right. But that's where where you get folk blues, which is like a combination of like the country and the blues combined. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, and, and that's really where I want this conversation to go is uh, this influence that this music has. Because it's definitely everywhere. You can get it in your folk music. You can find it in your country and such. But yep. um, rock and roll really grabbed, really grabbed onto the blues. Um, yeah. Made it, really, it's hard to be a rock and roll band and not play the blues. Uh, whether it's yeah. basic chord progressions or, you know, just stay in that minor pentatonic scale for your uh, lead solos and such. It tends to be really, really blues based, which is why I think Led Zeppelin was those first couple of albums. And uh, man, I really, I, I really struggle with '70s bands. I'm, I'm not familiar with that era much. I, I know the bands that I like. Well, um, it's like Ted Nugent definitely. Um, he admits that a lot of it started out with the blues. Oh yeah, and. And he's a hardcore rhythm and blues guy. Oh, yeah. And so, um, I mean, I know of a lot of groups that they they may have had some blues influence, but they weren't exactly blues, but like Deep Purple. I mean, they they did like Joe South's song, Hush, and Joe South was more like country blues type. Right. Uh, But, but, um, yeah, but I, I, I would say... Some people would say Iron Maiden started out kind of bluesish, even though they went to heavy metal way, because a lot of the music that they grew up listening to was the blues eight. And um, um, someone, Dean Simmons once said that someone, well, someone asked him, were you guys influenced by the blues because we could hear blues in what you do? And he went, actually, 
it's somewhat second generation or more influenced by the groups who themselves were influenced by the blues, but we were more influenced by the rock right. and more by by the English rock stuff. Oh, yeah, so he said, said, every member of Kiss was yeah. a diehard Beatles fan. Oh yep. yeah, and and they were also into the seventies, um, like glam rock and and English rock stuff, like the Move and. Um, there was even a group, Jody Grind, who um, was kind of um, obscure in a way, but they they kind of knew members of Deep Purple, and they, they 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 did some really good kind of jazzy blues stuff. And so uh, there was when I think about music, I I'm thinking more. I think more of there's a lot of groups that I like that are a little less totally blues, like Coliseum, which grew from John Mayall, but they they are more jazz. But but they but but the jazz I consider a lot of the jazz to be blues based, like Eddie Harris, who did like compared to what, and and some of his stuff can be considered funk rock, kind of like Sly and the Family Stone. But he would, but Eddie Harris more jazz. But a lot of his, there are some albums that he did. If you can hear the album Excursions, if you can find that, uh, you know it's available online probably. There's a lot of blues, kind of funky rock blues jazz in that, and nice. sounds so, like a crazy crazy hybrid. Uh, oh yeah, but 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 he he he's he's actually really really interesting. And some people would say Miles Davis had like a bluesy sound, or maybe John Coltrane's early period had bluesy sound. So, you know, there's um, all these um, people who had that. John McLaughlin, he was considered, Mahavishnu Orchestra was, a lot of people consider him a, a jazz group, but he said they were just an instrumental rock group, and, and they had some bluesy kind of elements in what they did and and i would say blee well quick ranger service maybe when they started out they they were more kind of bluesy but then later on they they went off on their own trip and sure, and, sure. and 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 did maybe more like what you would call weird stoned acid jam band stuff right <laughs> you, you you know but but a lot of these people listen <laughs> to the blues on acid, and then they might have done what John Lennon did when Yoko Ono played the Beethoven Moonlight Sonata thing uh, on piano, the first movement, and he went, "Can you play that backwards?" So she played it backwards for him, and that's how he thought of the song because. So right. a lot of and, and he thought of the song Rain, um, or, or he heard it when the tape accidentally went backwards, and he was so stoned, he went, wow, this is good. So he had to mix in um, the backwards part of Rain because he thought it sounded good. So people were basing a lot of their blue stuff on their twisted stuff from 
maybe acid or whatever and thinking, oh, let's bend the seventh chord and turn it into a horseshoe. Now we're playing horseshoe chord. So instead of da 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh definitely influential. And um I like how rock and roll musicians, you know, kinda got their breakthrough by playing old blues songs. I mean Eric Clapton doing Robert Johnson's um Crossroads Blues. Yeah. Kinda kinda broke him out on his own and into into kind of the blues scene and um uh, yeah, you know now Clapton. I, I don't think of him as strictly a blues guitar player because he's done some really good straight ahead rock yeah. and roll stuff. Yeah, but man, he's definitely a guy that could play those blues. Oh, sure. definitely. And um, yeah, definitely. I um, he he was in one one time when I was growing up, he was the guy. He was considered now what maybe Slash is considered nowadays. Oh, Slash is another good one that doesn't get enough blues credit. I actually prefer when he's playing the blues. If you ever just hear any of his, see him on YouTube, just noodle it around blues style. Amazing. And another one a lot of people don't realize, unless they're a huge fan of the band, but Motley Crue, uh, Mick Mars. Oh, yeah. A huge, huge fan of the blues um in fact when they did that uh 94 album uh with john karabi each of Mm -hmm. the members of the band did their own song and um they released it with the album where you had a special order and it was free or something and it was called a quaternary oh yeah yeah he had a song on there uh it was an instrumental um a blues instrumental and it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, it's oh, called yeah. uh, Bittersweet, and you can hear it hmm. right now.
Yeah, just very, very pretty. I mean, it's it's funny to use that word pretty when you're talking about mm. a you know a guitar player like Mick Mars because mm. there's, yeah. there's, there's nothing pretty about that guy. Well, I'm going to have to say, especially for me, based from 1974 all the way up to 1980 on all 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 albums that this band came out with, Malcolm and Angus Young. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they did Baby Please Don't Go. Yeah. Yeah, they, they did Baby Please Don't Go, which was a blues song, and... Yeah, their their original stuff was more blues based, and then they just they just pounded the heck out of it, like they pounded that meat until it turned to soft chew. But 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 with them, it, it turned into like this heavy kind of military march kind of rock and style, which which became really heavy. Oh and, yeah, I and think that, they just cranked the, up the amps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But oh, yeah, but man. but I thought to myself, speaking of blues and Fleetwood Mac, um, if you've, um, you know, Christine McVie nowadays, she's known more for her pop stuff. Even though one of her last solo albums was definitely a return to her blues form, and I like it. She doesn't like that particular album of hers. I think she might have judgment because she does good blues, but she was in a group called Chicken Shack, and 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 the stuff that she did in that. The album Forty Blues Fingers um, Packed Ready to Serve and it's it's a really cool album. And then later on she was in the group Fleetwood Mac, but she was known as Christine Perfect and her first album, the legendary Christine Perfect album, that's that's a really good blues English album to hear. And she does blues really well. Nice, nice. You know, so... Well, if, if we're so talking that's... straight blues, uh, there's somebody I want you to check out sometime, Lee. And YouTube out, man, if you haven't heard her. Um, I found this woman... I don't know if it was in a Facebook video or if I had actually seen her on YouTube. I'm not sure where it was that I saw her. Um, she doesn't have that traditional look of most of your female rock stars um she's an overweight woman she um wears those long dresses almost like you see the sister wives uh wearing you know oh not, not very i think i kind of know i think i kind of know who you mean but i want to wait and see if you know if you say who she is nice nice um <clears throat> she wears a less polish plays the blues on a less which I think is amazing, uh, because traditionally speaking, um, other than, what, B.B. King with his Gibson ES350, or Albert King and his uh, Flying V, traditionally the blues is played on a Fender Stratocaster. So she wears a Les Paul, and it is slung low. You know, so that it almost looks like she's holding the neck up by her head as she's playing down uh -huh. by her crotch area uh but her name is joanna connor yeah that's who it yeah. is yeah she's absolutely In fact, amazing what a shredder she is i can show you a video of when she first started out and she was slim and you'd be very amazed at how she looked 
Nice, nice. And, it, and I, I'm but, certainly but not yeah, trying she, to, uh, to, to, to say yeah, anything mean, but, negative about but, her. I'm no, no, saying, but you know, when you she's think still, of female she's rock still stars, good. Yeah, yeah. She's still good. She's real good. Yeah. It's just when you think of female rock stars. Yeah. For me, oh, I yeah. think of your Joe Jett. I think of your Pat Benatar, your Lita Ford. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know Doro Pesh. These women had a very specific look. Right. You know, uh, they they were put together right. <laughs> yeah. She actually also had that look, and then later on she just, I guess, got overweight. But, I mean, that's how people are. But she's still, her thing is, it's my music that does the talk. You ain't ever lying. And, in fact, I'm going to play yeah. this one right now because I'm talking about her. It's a woman's way. <laughs>
play. She's so fast, and I love. She plays a weird slide style of blues guitar, but she doesn't use a slide. Yeah. You know, but she does a lot of a lot of slide stuff. Just the way she moves up the neck real fast to hit a note and slides right back down. Absolutely amazing guitar player. Uh, and like I said, that's that's what I love about the blues anyway. Uh, when we moved into the 80s, a certain genre of rock and roll slash heavy metal, it was called heavy metal at the time, had come about. Um, they, they, they call it hair metal now, which to me is kind of yeah. demeaning because these guys were more than just hair. Okay, They, they yeah. did have something to say. The 80s was a cheesy time. Okay, but all those best bands, in my opinion, were very blues-based. And, and, and sometimes you don't even think about it. Um, Wasp, you wouldn't necessarily think of Wasp as being a blues-based band. But then you hear Blind in Texas, and that whole guitar riff is, it's just a basic blues riff. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you hear some of Chris Holmes' solo stuff now, um, a lot of his stuff is like very blues and country blues oriented. Yeah, and, that's, and I, uh, I maintain, I will stand by this, the blues is the greatest form of music, and you cannot like rock and roll if you don't have an appreciation for the blues. I said it earlier in this episode, I'm saying it again. Yep. Yeah. Um, I agree that you think that. Um, <laughs> I... I I would say that um, for for me, if I had a choice of either only listening to blues or just listening to jazz or listening to avant-garde classical, I would have to pick either jazz or avant-garde classical only because they're so, for me, um, it, it resonates more. But I would say, though, that as far as just the blues scale, I mean, of course, I... In my music, I play blues scale. What I'll do, <clears throat> and purposefully, will be doing like a blues chord <clears throat> or a blues bass, but then an avant-garde, atonal, Russian classical thing with it so that it doesn't sound blues. <clears throat> so I will <clears throat> do something really weird with it because what I'll do is I'll branch out because I don't consider myself really a blues player, except I can do a blues chord, of course. But I mean, I, I would say, but if anyone who does music and does rock doesn't actually do any kind of blues-based chords, they're, I, I would say they're not really a rock musician. Right. Well, see, so, so you're on the same page. And, and remember, yeah. I didn't say... You can't like rock and roll if you don't like the blues. I said you can't yeah. like rock and roll if you don't appreciate the blues. You have to appreciate what the genre has done for rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Because, um, like, I, like I was saying, most of my favorite bands are very, very blues-based. Um, Cinderella, come on. Yeah. Cinderella, uh, those, those first two albums, and maybe the, the second one more, Long Cold Winter. That's mm. a heavily laden blues album. I mean, you got Bad Seamstress Blues, for fuck's sake, opening up the album. Um, you mm -hmm. have the song Long Cold Winter, which is a beautiful guitar-driven blues tune. 
Everything about that album is just so bluesy. And I know our good buddy here, you know, good buddy amongst all three of us, the great Dr. Fuck, Ralph Vieira, that's what he hates about 80s rock and roll, is, you know, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll play these blues chords really loud and wear spandex, and now I'm a band. And he hates that about that genre. <laughs> but for me, it's well, like, that's why I love it so much. <laughs> to me, that's mm. rock and roll. Huey Lewis and the News, even though they get more pop credit, they're a great blues rock and roll band. Uh, the Black Crows, yeah. that's a rock and roll band, but are you going to say that that is not a blues band? They're interchangeable. I mean, you have your obvious one. Stevie Ray Vaughan is a blues guitar player that could be considered yeah. rock and roll in some songs. Right. But that guy is absolutely amazing. And in the late 80s, early 90s, he crossed over blues to even more people just because that's what he was playing. Right. Oh, yeah. And there's also, like, um, Elvin Bishop, who, you know, was in... Um, the Paul Burfield blues band, and he became more, you know, rock. But Steve Miller, he he started out, um, I think it was called the Steve Miller Blues Band, and later on he just totally went, and he kept changing. He kept, like, his first couple albums with Steve Miller Blues Band um, became Steve Miller Band, and they, they did a lot of really out there stuff that was not blues oriented, but then he went on later to do like um, the album Fly Like an Eagle and Book of Dreams, which has a lot of blues in it. Sure. And he, he said that um, Jet Airliner was based upon Crossroads, the song. Right, and, right. Yeah, the great Robert and, Johnson. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Boz Skaggs, he, who was in that group, he originally started out, he has an album which is from Sweden, from like 1965. I think if you find a copy and you find it for $1,000, you get cheap. And, wow. and, and but, but, but there's a couple of songs that they've uploaded on YouTube, but it's just him on guitar doing like blues stuff. That's and, awesome. And it's funny you say Sweden, you know, because uh, yeah. you remember Europe from the 80s. Yeah. Definitely not a blues band. Until maybe their third album, Out of This World. And that song, Superstitious, yeah. is hardcore yeah. bluesy. But if you, Bro, have, yeah. if you haven't heard any of their newer stuff, they don't have oh, that yeah. glammy hair feel anymore. They really yeah. feel like a good blues-based rock and roll band these days. Oh, definitely. And I, and and, I and love that. I, I wish we could get more of that. Um, mainstream rock radio doesn't have enough of it if you ask me i don't know what's going on with these bands out there yeah they're they're too yeah. busy let me see if i can get just as heavy as i can as fast as i can but where's the heart now i like yeah. thrash metal i like heavy stuff you know i do but every once in a while i still want to feel some heart it's like rock and roll doesn't even sing about love anymore now they, they talked shit about these guys back in the 80s because they were doing the ballads but yeah these guys aren't doing it anymore. They're not singing to their women unless it's Steel Panther. Then it's just filthy. <laughs> yeah. But like, for instance, Manfred Mann, um, you know, who um, was known maybe for their more prog rock stuff, but back in the really early days, even though they did pop, I heard that their, their first album was more bluesy, jazzy, and more basic 
blues style, and then the record company decided to make more of a compilation of their more pop stuff um, for the American audiences. But in England, they were more bluesy oriented. Nice. So, yeah. so I got a question for both of you then, because um, Mountain Man just won't shut the fuck up. Um, oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you had to pick one rock and roll song, and this this is important, rock and roll song. I don't care <clears throat> if it's hard rock. I don't care if it's metal. I don't care if it's straight rock and roll. If you had to pick one, and say, look. This is what defines blues-based rock and roll. What would that song be, Mountain Man? Uh, the Nelson song you got from Gunnar Nelson himself. <laughs> really, steamroller. Yes, sir. That, I, uh, just... You go next because I have to think for a minute. <laughs> See, I have to think too, and I'm, I'm kind of blown away by uh, him picking this okay, one. Um... Um, now, I got to tell you, Lee. Uh, the song you're about to hear isn't available anywhere. I'm the only one that has this song. He sent it directly to me. It's never going to be released in this format. So, um, and that's because I got to meet him at the Rocket Pod Expo last year, and he was very gracious with me. Gave me his personal email address. We communicated. He sent me this song. He's given me permission to use it on this podcast, and he has given me permission to uh, play it on my radio show. And I have done both before in the past, but. Since you brought it up, Nelson Steamroller.
Yeah, that's definitely very, very blues. Well, I can see. I thought of mine. Would define blues-based rock. Go ahead, Lee. Um, I I have two. Um, I will first say one that isn't quite totally blues, but for me, when I hear it, it sounds like my style of blues, and that would be whole lot of whole lot of Rosie by. But that's not my official answer. My official answer is Smokestack Lightning by the Yardbirds. All right. Well, you know what? Since we love you so much here at the plug, here you go. ACDC, Whole Lot of Rosie, and the Yardbirds. Smokestack Lightning. Right on. Thank you.
Now, I can actually hear the blues influence in a whole lot of Rosie, although I agree with what you say. It's it's not really blues-based, but you could hear some blues in there. For sure. Yeah. But the Yardbirds, yeah, I mean, you can't get much more bluesy than that. Yeah, it's a Howlin' Wolf tune. Nice, nice. For me... Just like, the Lemon song was um, originally Killing Floor, which was a Howlin' Wolf song, so there you go. I just wanted to add that. Nice, nice. Look at that. A little bit of history. That's what's great about having Lee on. His head yeah. is so full of music knowledge from just all across the board. That's why I had to go ahead and ask you on uh, for, for this episode, because I knew it would be fun and you would tell us some stuff yeah. that, uh, that I had never heard. How about you, Mountain Man? Have you heard of half no. of stuff? No, uh, some of it, but the, the biggest concepts, that. And yeah, I, I'm trying my best to not keep going on and on and on and on, because... Um, I would if you let me, and it would be <laughs> Lee runs off of the mouth for four hours. <laughs> no, I got an edit button. <laughs> oh. Okay. Oh, man. Now, if I was going to grab one song and say, look, this is what defines blues-based rock and roll to me, it would have to be the Rolling Stones from my favorite Rolling Stones album, Goat's Head Soup, the great... Starfucker, or as it was released in America, Star Star. Baby.
definitely blues too. <laughs> I love the Rolling Stones. I could listen to them all day long and twice on Sunday. So I think it's safe to say rock and roll in general, very very blues influenced. Um, especially if it's your you know more traditional rock and roll bands. I prefer the '80s hair hair metal bands because they tended to be a little more blues based. But if you're rock and roll, you're blues based. I mean. Uh, Ah, Bruce Springsteen was blues-based. You know, you you can't get around that. Even Billy yeah. Joel was was blues-based. You know, yeah. uh, and it all comes back from those from those farms, those plantations where people were just down and out. I think it was uh, Joe Seneca in um in the movie Crossroads that said the blues ain't nothing but a good man feeling bad. And that's oh what yeah, so magical about the blues because. Even when I'm down, listening to the blues cheers me up, as weird as that is. It puts me in a good mood, puts me in a great place. Yeah. It reminds me, there was one time at Village Music, store in Mill Valley, the guy who run it, uh, he, he, he was like, he had... <laughs> not made edits. influence, he said run it, not ran it, run it. Run it, right? <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm I'm not actually that college educated. I like to pretend I am, but I I'm I'm really my own mind, <laughs> my own my own educated me. But anyway, yeah, no, I don't think any of us are college educated here, uh, Lee. You're a good yeah. company. Cool. Um, thank you. Yeah. But anyway, he <laughs> um he was totally into the blues. So this guy, he looked kind of like. <laughs> um, like, if, if you think of the guy who was on Seinfeld, who was like, like his, the bald guy with the glasses, sort of, um, Joe, whatever, was, you, you know, that, that, that kind of nerdy looking guy. Sure. Um, this, this guy sort of looked a little bit like him and he was in there and saying like, hi, do you have anything to recommend of the blues? And, and, and he's acting like 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 a lawyer type who's trying to act all hip and stuff and and he's you know it would be like asking a guy who's a lexicographer who's into all sorts of different languages recommend a word for me you know it's like uh what so he was like uh okay uh like <laughs> like he wants to tell him but he's like do you have any kind of like style or genre that that you're into? No, I don't care. It could be washboard. It could be like gospel. It could be heavy. It could be folk. Anything. Just blues, blues, man. I want blues. I want blues. And so, nice, nice. Um, I mean, he, he was kind of like probably thinking, okay, well, he's kind of a odd one, but he's a customer, so I'll help him. And so he. He suggested maybe a compilation, which was of all sorts of different artists, so that he said he could get a, a sense of style. But he, if it were me, and I was desperate, and I thought I'd out a lot of money, I would just go to practically anything, and I would also add a few things that weren't blues, like Barbara Streisand and 1910 Fruit Gun Company, just to just to throw them off. Just, just <laughs> say, hey, yummy, hey. yummy, yummy, yummy. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, just just to throw him <laughs> off, just to say, just just to get his money and to get those albums out of my store. You know? That's so, so fucking John funny. John Lee Hooker, he's so fucking cool, and Willie Dixon and Bob Dryson had a really cool blues album. People don't know about. Ooh, 1910 Fruitcom Company. Um, besides the string section, you really have some good Howlin' Wolf, Money Waters style going on here, and you know. And yeah, just, yeah, uh, that, that's actually the Mountain Man's uh, favorite band. I don't know if you do that. Yubby 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 is his favorite song. Um, huh. Yeah, what the fuck <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, I have certainly well, that was enjoyed the wrong, this. That was, that was Ohio's. But but no, no, a 1910 group com- company did um, Simon Says. No, oh, yeah. Uh, you, you, but but for me to know that, that's, that's the sick element. But no, um... <laughs> But but I but I will say there are a couple of songs that um, Ohio Express did that were actually their own stuff that was psychedelic that was not not that bubblegum stuff that I could sometime give you and you would be surprised but no they 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 did some psychedelic stuff too nice, and they used nice. Kenny Laguna for the producer of that stuff and Kenny Laguna later on worked with Joan Jett. So there you got it. Sweet, sweet. Lots of good information here. Lots of good information here. <laughs> Lee, I'm, uh, I'm glad you came on. You've certainly Thank opened you. my eyes to some uh, to some new things. Um, cool. How are you about, man? Been off oh, the for sure. Absolutely, for sure. I've heard a couple of bands in there that I haven't thought of in a while. So definitely oh, yeah. an eye-opener. Absolutely. Always a good time when Mr. Lee Gerstmann comes and sits in at the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. Yeah, there's 200 more tuned um, groups I forgot to mention. I'll have to I'll have to give you a whole long message on Messenger so that you can check them out tonight. Nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lee, do you have anything to promote? Oh, well, if you look at a podcast called The Lee Gerstmann Show... Um, I will say that, well, there are various episodes that are really good, but the newest one that I did was with Dr. Fuck, uh, and we do a conversation about which deal is better, the Gene Simmons Vault Experience or the Vinnie Vincent Atlanta Expo, and that so far has gotten the most plays of all of my different podcast episodes. So if you don't know of that episode, feel free to go on it. Feel free to listen to it again. Get those numbers up. I've gotten about at least 300 more plays within like the last couple of days than I've had throughout my whole time of doing podcasting the it originally was around like a little less than 500 or, and, and now it's over 800 and nice. it's like like um only 150 more i think and it will be like a thousand plays so come on people tell your friends um give someone some whiskey and make sure that they check it out but make sure that they put it on their play button before you give them the whiskey just do whatever you can but plug that baby and that's the lee gerstman show and it's on spreaker 
and I have other stuff that I do, but for right now, um, I don't want to overwhelm you all. You might as well just go there first. Nice, nice. I tell you what, I uh, I just listened to that episode today, and it was a great episode. Oh yeah, funny stuff. You and Ralph always always work well together. Yeah. Not man, anything to promote? Uh, I'm going to promote the genre we have been speaking about today. Any blues band that you can check out that Holy uh, Gersman has touched base on with us. Any time y'all want to at least check it out, give it a chance. Uh, definitely listen to it. Yeah, a lot of people don't like it, but either way, give it a little listen so you can understand exactly every aspect that we have spoke about on this episode, especially me, you know, I couldn't shut the hell up, so uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely go give it a listen and at least give it a little bit of thought of looking at it on really how the blues influenced rock and roll music. Absolutely. Yeah, and definitely, definitely check out that Color Me Barber album by Barbara Streisand and tell me about the blues element in it. <laughs> oh, that's if you so do funny. That, if you do that, I'm definitely later going to have to drink alcohol before I read your comments. <laughs> oh, and I'm going to uh, promote an album released in 2000. Uh, Eric Clapton, B.B. King, Riding with the King. Great album. Lots of good stuff on there. Even Jimmy Vaughn has a uh, guitar appearance on that album. Uh, it, it is one of my favorite Eric Clapton albums, but it's because it's got my all-time favorite blues man on it. You know, B.B. King will always be my favorite. That was a sad day when he passed on. Um, I want to leave you guys with one more track. Uh, I, I spoke a little bit earlier about Robert Cray, and when I say spoke about him, I may have just name-dropped it. But um, this is a sexy, sexy song with some blistering blues guitar. This is the Robert Cray band, Scaramouche.
Now that's how you close a show. Right on. <laughs> Mr. Lee Gerstman, any final thoughts? Oh, yeah. Um, if you don't want to hear Color Me Barbara, then listen to Easier Pinza, um, um, his greatest hits. Or not. Don't <laughs> listen, even listen to Listen me. to who? <laughs> Ezio Pinza, he was in South Pacific. This oh. is my beloved. Oh, I'm going to YouTube that right now. <laughs> oh. oh, my Lord. My man, final thoughts. Same as always, brother. Stay sick. Take care of one another. Skitter pal now. Hell, mountain man out. All right. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> Thank you, no, actually, to Lee Gersman for coming no, on. Actually, I, I, do, I, I will. I, uh, my, my dad. Um, if I, my dad, we would both be drinking and listening to Ezio Pinza just because why not? And he would take his knife and start waving it around the air and sing, "This is my beloved," just because he liked to be a little weird. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'll leave it at that. Oh man, motherfuckers! Bye, vinyl. We'll see you next week. Hey, this was really fun. We hope you liked it too. Seems like we've just begun when suddenly we're through. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye. Cause now it's time to go. But hey, I say, well that's okay. Cause we'll see you very soon, I know. Very soon I know. What the fuck is this shit? This is how we say goodbye on the plug. See you next week.
now of 10 years old. With a suit cut sharp as a razor and a heart made of gold. I had a guitar hanging just above waist high, and I'm gonna play this thing until the day I die.